Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. In this edition of Hoopsology, we welcome John Gotti from Complex onto the show to give his unique perspective on sneaker culture. Then Matt and Justin give their impressions of the beginning of the NBA season. And now, John Gotti. He is a writer for Complex, specializing in sneaker culture. We welcome John Gotti onto Hoopsology. How's it going, John? Hey, how's it going, guys? Glad to be here. Glad to be a guest on the show. So, John, um, we had Jock Slade on the show last week. Um, he's another um, expert in the sneaker culture, and, and this is something that I feel is underrepresented just in basketball overall. So um, just as it's giving you some knowledge, just Matt and I, we're kind of novices in kind of the, the sneaker culture, trying to learn more um, just about this this um, subgenre within this basketball as a whole. So we wanted to pick your brains. So um, we just wanted to start um, with yourself in terms of when you first fell in love with sneakers, like your first pair and, and why you think uh, what really got you interested in this. Oh, wow. Uh, you're going to make me show my age. I'll just say that I was old enough to have the original Jordan fours as a kid. And I mean, like an elementary school kid, I had the original Jordan fours if that gives you any idea of kind of where it started at for me. I'm 44 years old. So it started, and I guess that was maybe second or third grade for me. And then mm-hmm. maybe by fourth grade, fifth grade, like I had an older cousin um, who kind of got me started, like truly interested in shoes, like maybe taking care of my shoes, cleaning them, making me aware of the different styles and everything like that. Like, I always say that that cousin in fourth grade was the one who got me started. He, I was in fourth. He was in 11th grade. So he was a, he was a high school junior. And so he was sitting there just telling young me, and I'm sitting there fascinated. But he was doing that with, like, music, uh, shoes, everything, just really bringing me up to speed on how the world worked. And it probably started somewhere off in there, and I've been a fan ever since. And once you you got those shoes, what what did it mean to you in terms of like seeing how to relate to watching the athletes like on television, and then moving on as you got older? Um, how did your if your fascination with sneakers evolve from there? Uh, you know they well when you think about them in relation to basketball, it wasn't necessarily seeing them on the screen. I can remember being a young kid again in elementary and junior high school. And it was it would be the older guys wearing them. And that was the big fascination then. Like I can distinctly remember this guy named Greg playing on the middle school team, the junior high team, and he had the Jordan threes. And I mean Greg was just an absolute hooper. And I guess if he was in say ninth grade, my sister was in eighth, so I was probably in fifth, say. And I can remember Greg, you know, wearing the uh, uh, wristband on his forearm, sort of like Mike did at the time, and he had on the threes. He was just a dope hooper. So looking up to those older kids and and noticing how they carried themselves, like, yo, you always want to be like those guys. So that was probably an even bigger influence than the screen ever was, to be honest with you. 
Got it. And so in terms of now um, and NBA athletes in particularly, can you kind of put in the, in the context, what does it mean for a, a senior, senior athlete um, such as like Paul George or um, even like, for instance, we all know about LeBron and other um top NBA players like Steph Curry to get their own signature shoe. Because I think for like common NBA fans, they kind of see it as like a common occurrence. Um, but it's, it's actually somewhat of kind of a rarity. Like not every NBA player has a signature shoe. So can you kind of put in the, in the context, what's, what does that mean for a NBA player to finally get their own shoe? I think when you think about it in terms of like the right now, it's still one of those things that guys come into the league wanting because it's part of like their dream you know first i want to make it to the nba and then when i get there i want to have my own signature shoe i want to have kids wearing my shoe and trying to emulate me and trying to be me when they're on the court in the backyard or whatever so it still got that certain allure to it in that sense for the for the players but i almost think that you know in the context of right now like, I don't know how much signature shoes even matter. I was actually having a conversation with some friends the other day, and it's like when I go out and I watch these kids, because my son is 15, uh, he plays AAU ball, so, of course, you know, in enormous circumstances, we're traveling. My wife also coaches, a, you know, a girls' team, and, you know, she's in EYBL. So I'm mm-hmm. constantly watching these kids on those levels, on the amateur level. And those kids, like, yeah, they want to wear those shoes, but as soon as the game is over, they're slipping on some crocs, some slides, or some bands, or something other like that. Like, they don't really, they're not as fascinated as we once were. So I almost think that when you think in terms of, like, those signature shoes, yeah, it means a lot to the players, but I think the general public is almost, like, unaware of them. Like, you can't recreate Mike and Kobe. And that's why... I think you see a lot of the, like the LeBron styles don't really translate to off the court where you're not really seeing a lot of people wearing Paul George's or Kyrie's or Curry's off of the court. Now on the court. Yeah. Those are the brands you're looking at, the names you're looking at off the court. I don't know if those signature styles translate like Jordan once did. John, do you think that has anything to do with like relatability to the players? Like, um, you know, one thing that I've, I've heard people mention is, you know, they'll kind of buy signature shoes kind of based on uh, what their personal game is like. So obviously not, not many of us are, you know, six, eight, 250 plus pounds and super fast and versatile like, like a LeBron James. Um, do you think that maybe some of that um hesitancy to wear lebron's off the court has to do with that like maybe it's a relatability thing or is it just simply kind of a a change in pop culture i was about to say it's strictly a change in pop culture in my opinion and to go back to what you're saying about lebron it's like that lebron shoe it looks good and it's and it's great for lebron and he can wear it but it's not necessarily styled in in a way that the average guy can wear it, you know, off of the court. But, and, and I think that's something that goes back to a lot of basketball designs now. And they're, and I, I give them credit because they're built with performance in mind, you know, as they most definitely should be. But then when you think about style, it's like those styles don't necessarily translate to off the court. So they kind of, you know, nobody's interested in for off the court wear. 
And I think one of the, the bigger things is, is like that definitely that shift in pop culture. Like athletes aren't necessarily driving styles like they used to. Now mm-hmm. kids are looking to, uh, you know, musicians. They're looking to Instagram influencers. You know, they're reading, uh, you know, when I was a kid and even, you know, growing up all the way through the 90s, early 2000s, we were looking at magazines that came out like once a month where these kids are hammered and young people nowadays are hammered with images and media constantly. And they're just more influenced by that than they are the athletes on the court. And even if you look at the athletes on the court, it's not so much. If you think about what's paid the most attention to in terms of like their footwear, it's not what they're wearing on the court. It's what they're wearing to the game, that pregame thing. Mm. And the camera's catching what they're wearing before the game. And when you catch them before the game, they're wearing the latest hype shoe or they're wearing some designer stuff and they've got the cool outfit. Like, and that stuff translates more to a kid than, you know, LeBron 18 on court. Gotcha. Uh, I was wondering, uh, next question would be, um, you know, say say I'm interested in a particular, like, limited edition sneaker. Like, the uh, a couple weeks ago, I saw a limited edition, I think it was, like, Adidas elf <laughs> signature shoe came out. That That's yeah. something that would be, like, a hit with my kids. Um, and and honestly, I, I think would would be something I'd be interested in wearing. What what are you, what's your advice in terms of like approaching a limited edition sneaker like that? Oh man, the best I can tell you is uh, <laughs> to pray a lot and don't get your hopes too tied into that limited edition sneaker. Is all I can tell you is the best thing. Uh, now, to be honest with you. Uh, always tell people like it's still at the end of the day like you you can try online of course and you know i'm talking out of the context of COVID, and of course the pandemic and quarantine and everything you you still have to kind of go in stores and make relationships with people and that's ultimately what shoes are about in a larger sense to me it's not so much the suit it's not so much the shoe it's like the stories associated with them and the stories associated with it in the quest of acquiring a shoe and like the people you, uh, you the people you encounter as you're trying to acquire shoes so like that guy who's your buddy who works at the store and he gives you the heads up like hey we'll release me saturday at 11 make sure you're here like you and that guy develop a rapport a relationship mm-hmm. and that's somebody who you end up talking to over the years and y'all become friends shoes and no shoes that, uh, shoes and no shoes involved at all. So, like, it's more about making those relationships and just talking to people and, and just getting out there, in my opinion. Gotcha. So, John, to that point, um, I, I have a buddy, and, and he's really into sneaker culture, and one of the things that he's most concerned about is just the, the reseller market and bots kind of destroying sneaker culture, and he's been having difficulty kind of getting to the sneakers that he wants. I mean, we, we live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so it's kind of like a not, not a major media market per se. Um, so I think through his this frustration getting the sneakers that he wants um, – in this area, it's kind of pretty difficult. So is it a thing with him that he's not cultivating the, the right relationships or, or do you think it is something to which like, you know, this reseller market and these bots are really providing a lot of ro- uh, roadblocks for people that really want these sneakers. 
No, I mean, there's definitely roadblocks, roadblocks without a doubt. And I think that um, when you think of – I've got a friend who's into gaming. And, you know, now everybody and parents especially are having to contend with trying to get their hands on a PlayStation and an Xbox right now. And, of course, you know, bots are buying those up quickly. And, I, and my friend That's was right. complaining about it. Yeah, and I'm like, he was complaining about it like he couldn't get it. And then when he wanted to buy it on the second hand, on the secondary market, you know, it's going upwards of a thousand bucks. And I was like, yo, welcome to what we've been dealing with in shoes for the past five to seven years. Like it is a headache. It is a hurdle. He was showing me the other day where even lawmakers now are starting to have that conversation about, hey, we have to do something about this, about these unfair practices, buying practices, I guess you would say. But, you know, it's something that's been going on with shoes for a long time. I think if you look at the concert industry, like the music industry, they've had to deal with people using bots and whatever, try to get tickets and scalp tickets. Um, it's really unfortunate. And I think it's something that on one end you talk about lawmakers have to kind of do something about it. And then on the flip side, you know, it also comes back to the companies, like making enough of an item for there to be enough for everybody to get it, everybody who wants it to get it. Like, I think it falls back on those sneaker companies to like up those production numbers to make sure everybody has access. But at the same time, it's like, they know they want that. They want that supply and demand to work a certain way. So that the, 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 the demand always stays high and people want their products and if their products are always in conversation. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any end in sight. To be quite honest with you, well, I, I think that's a really good point you bring up with with the video games. I just remember, like the Nintendo Wii, um, Nintendo like intentionally made less of them to in, to keep that demand up, and it was a craze for years to come. Even though they had the capability of making tons of these systems, um, and I think with video games, at least like it may not be the right thing to do, but there's piracy. So if you ultimately want to play like your favorite games, you can. You have to like, go through a lot of hoops and, and loops to do that. But with sneakers, there, there's not other than maybe like a like bootlegs, maybe I'm not really sure. But I guess I wanted to ask you in, in terms of like a beginner trying to get into s- sneaker culture. Um, Jock Slay said that you can just kind of pick any sneaker and then go from there. But you know, with me, I saw the um, Kobe um, Bruce Lee collaboration, and I think the shoes Amazing were like a hundred. They look spectacular. Yeah, and they're trending on Twitter, and then they were sold out. So, like somebody like me, I know nothing about cultivating relationships or like where to go, and then they're they're gone. And then, like you were saying, there's the, the reseller market, which they're being sold like three times, four times that much. Um, what would you say to like a newbie like myself who's trying to get into it? Is it kind of a bad time to really start, or should I just kind of just put put my uh, feet in the deep end and just try to get the shoes that I want? I always tell people to like buy what you like. And then also, like, if you're going for that hype product and it's like you you want that, you got to know the waters that you're entering into. So for me, I always say buy what you like and, like, don't buy what everybody else is buying or what everybody tells you is cool. If you like it, and you know it comes down to personal style, it's like if you like it, buy it, wear it, make it look cool. Because that's what it was pre-internet. Like, you bought stuff and you wore it. And even, like, when you were younger, it's like you bought stuff and you took what your parents gave you 
you know, those few pairs that they could get you a year, and you wore them and you styled them in a way that made it look cool. So instead of trying to buy some cool stuff, like trying to buy those Bruce Lee ones, yeah, you can, uh, Bruce Lee's, excuse me, you can do it. You can spend that three, $400, or I can go out here and find anywhere from four to eight shoes that cost half of that, you know, 100 bucks a pop, 75 bucks a pop. And, you know, I've got a decent little collection going, and I've got a lot of, of, of variety and style right there. So I always encourage people to, like, yo, go off the beaten path just a little bit and, like, find other stuff that everybody else isn't searching for. Like, find those those hidden gems and make the most of it. John, I, I've got one more question for you. Um, and then, uh, Justin, if, if you have another, go for it. But um, I, I was wondering your thoughts on, you know, one of the, the things that we've seen through the 2010s um, that's that's been a new recent trend is just kind of like pop culture icons. I mean, specifically musicians getting shoe deals. Uh, so so shoe deals have expanded beyond athletes. And, and I think obviously, you know, hip hop blends really well with NBA and therefore sneaker culture. Um, could you see more and more, more people in, in the future getting shoe deals like beyond the music industry and um, obviously athletics? Or do you think that, you know, maybe we're, we're kind of reaching towards, um, I don't know, I guess maybe like a pop culture shoe deal kind of ceiling with what we've seen in the 2010s? Uh, you know, I've been around shoes in the online space specifically and in the resale space since maybe 2001. And since maybe 2007, there's been this constant refrain that the bubble's going to pop like it can't get much bigger. And the bubble just keeps growing and expanding. <laughs> like it still hasn't popped. 13 years later, the bubble hasn't popped. So it's, I, I tend to think that it's going to just keep getting bigger. And one of the things that I'm seeing, and I'll, and I'll just say this, I think one of the most, I think basketball shoes right now may be a little bit too predictable, but I think one of the most, Potentially one of the most exciting things on the horizon is the fact that Kanye West has a Yeezy basketball silhouette that's coming out. And it's very much one of those shoes, like what we're talking about, that you could wear it on the court, but it also looks good styled off of the court, mm. which is like a rarity for basketball shoes currently. Mm-hmm. So I think if Kanye's and, you know, my personal feelings about, you know, the the many different sides of Kanye aside, just talking about the product itself, it's a beautifully designed product. I haven't tested it, and, you know, you don't see, you haven't seen any true reviews of it because it was only released, um, I think, last All-Star Weekend was the only mm-hmm. time the actual on-court model was released. There's an on-court model releasing, I think, on the 24th for the first time, I believe. So, like, if that shoe performs, and we know it's going to do, do good from a style per- perspective, like, that could be one of the brightest spots in basketball footwear to come. And then mm-hmm. footwear in general, when you're talking about it, 
like you're saying, and it's not just footwear, we're noticing with apparel as well, you know, they're starting to enter the gaming space. So not only do you have musicians starting to get these deals and getting these products and things named after them, you're starting to get these gamers and game teams and people who have, you know, huge Twitch channels and DJs and everything else starting to get, you know, those looks from Nike, Adidas, et cetera. Uh, Mitchell and Ness just did a, a capsule collection. You know, I just say this because I randomly saw it the other day. They did an apparel collection around some gaming team. And we know Mitchell and, Mitchell and Ness were making retro jerseys, basketball jerseys, football jerseys, mm-hmm. baseball jerseys. They're doing apparel around gaming because everybody understands that that's a huge market. And like sports, it's like I don't have to be athletically inclined. I don't have to be so much better than everybody else uh, in a physical sense in order to be good at a video game. Being good at a video game, in my estimation, is like, yo, everybody has potential to be good at that. And so that may that may draw more people than even sports does before this thing is over with. And so it's only going to get bigger. And do you think in the future, you know, if it keeps moving in that direction in terms of other forms of entertainment um, being offered these sneaker deals, um, I always point out, like, I, I'm a, just a big uh, pro wrestling fan, and, and a lot of the athletes there – they constantly talk about sneakers. Even Kofi Kingston has – he has a, um, a custom sneaker designer um, who designs right. sneakers for every one of his matches um, consistently. Um, so it's just be, it becoming a, a bigger crossover where a lot of the performers there, they're not wearing wrestling boots. They're wearing sneakers. Um, do you, Yo, you know so, who sells a lot of shoes like and, and always sells through on his products? Yeah. Is The Rock for Under Armour. Oh, that's right. Yep. He sells through every single time on his apparel collections and footwear. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, again, that's another one of those things is like, he's got a following and people yep. love wrestling. Just like they love gaming and love basketball. Like, yo, they love wrestling. They that's have right. to wear shoes. They have to wear clothes. So why not wear the rocks clothes, I guess. Like they enjoy it. Or, you know, a lot of them are wrestling, gym goers, et cetera. But, so it's just the sense that, yo, know, they want to wear the stuff that represents who they are, like we all do. Like we want to wear you, the things that let people know who we are and what we're about. For sure. And, and to that point, do you see like the athletes in particularly like in the NBA be, becoming maybe not irrelevant, but certainly less of a focus. So a focus on all these other um, um, genres of pop culture where um, just people are looking to those, to the people they look up to in particularly in, in gaming and entertainment and et cetera, more than people on the basketball court where that was the norm for so many years. Oh, I don't think they'll ever be irrelevant. And that's because, uh, as, as part of our culture, as part of American culture, you know, sports are taught to us as kids. And those are usually the first people who we look up to as heroes or idols outside of, say, our, pra- our parents or our grandparents or whoever. Like, those are the first people who we begin to idolize and want to emulate. Uh, so I'm, I think when you kind of approach it from that angle a lot of times, I always think that athletes, 
still will always be a huge part of our culture because they, they've always been for as long as I can remember. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. I hope it doesn't. Well, John, um, this is a fascinating topic. Thank you for joining us. Please um, plug what you're working on, and then where can our listeners find you on social media? I am working on absolutely nothing. (laughs) (laughs) And I I say that because I've had a grueling, you know, just like everybody else, I've had a grueling 2020. I've got a couple of weeks off of work. I'm going to relax, but nine times out of ten, you can find me publishing something with Complex Sneakers, that vertical there that specializes in sneakers and the trends associated with sneakers. And on Instagram and Twitter, you can find me at John Gotti, and that's G-O-T-T-Y. So I'm usually there, you know, making jokes, sharing thoughts, you know, just like everybody else. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of coach. I'm a fan of shoes, basketball, the whole nine yards. So catch me there. Awesome, John. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you, John. Yes, sir. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, Justin? How are you doing, man? Good, man. Um, just right off the top, I'd like to thank um, John Gotti for um, joining the show. Um, just with him and Jock Slade getting a crash course in uh, sneaker culture. So it was awesome to have both of those guys on. Absolutely. Fun conversations. And uh, I like that it, it was kind of a, a different feel, some different advice from John Gotti compared to what we got from Jacques. So, you know, hopefully with those two interviews, you guys have uh, a nice full picture of kind of how to get into sneaker culture. <laughs> like, yeah. like we're looking to do maybe here. So right. <laughs> very, we'll see. very good times, informative interviews. Well, if my paycheck goes up, then maybe, but <laughs> we'll have to wait. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Also, um, you know, happy belated Christmas to all of those, those of you celebrating that and happy holidays to everyone. We're uh, in, in the Thomas household here. We're just kind of coming off the, uh, the high of the holidays, but it's, it's been a great weekend and uh, looking forward to getting back into some NBA talk. We also have a lot to review today on the show as we'll get into with opening week being last Tuesday and uh, a ton of good action this weekend, a ton of bad action as well. We'll talk yeah. about a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, man. So um, like you said, let's not waste any time and uh, break down, I guess what you call it, like the first week and a uh, I guess week of NBA action per mm-hmm. se. Um, and, Let's discuss the power rankings, and these are from NBA.com, and I find these power rankings very interesting when you sent this over, Matt, because when reading these power rankings, and I want you to explain this to me, can you justify the Denver Nuggets? Now, we're both Denver Nuggets. I I think, like, just because the Bulls are terrible, I think the Nuggets have kind of become my de facto team over the last couple of years. Um, Do you justify them being number six on his power rankings, them being 0-2? Does, does that make any sense, or I'm not, not comprehending what these power rankings are supposed to be? You know, power rankings, I find, and by the way, this is uh, John Schumann's rankings. He, he does uh, a lot of great NBA analytical work uh, for NBA.com as, as well as other um, sites. But uh, I, I do find power rankings frustrating in general because we kind of, we know going into power ranking, like, it's kind of obvious, even though the Lakers 
lost. They're they're still the number one team in the power rankings, and I think rightfully so. So it, it seems like wins and losses don't have that dramatic of an effect. And I think there's a lot of stock in Denver. Like just last week on the podcast, I projected that because they would put more effort into the regular season, that they would win the Western Conference. Uh, obviously, my prediction is looking <laughs> pretty awful right now at the start of the season, but it's early. Uh, but yeah, to to get back to what we're saying with power rankings here, I, I think that's why you see them at number six on the rankings is because is it's, it's just kind of a throwaway that they've lost these first two games of their season. Um, yeah, they're off to a slow start, but we know that roster is pretty loaded and expectations are sky high. Now, if they go, let's say like, oh, and five, that's when I think you'll see, you know, maybe in, in like the week three power rankings, uh, a drop off finally from that. So I think there's kind of this projection early on in this power rankings on what the experts are all predicting for these teams and, and where uh, they should end up realistically on these rankings. So you're kind of getting the benefit of the doubt if you're the Denver Nuggets. But okay. but I'm with you in that I think it, it can be confusing at different points in the seasons as to like, well, why is this team number 18, let's say, when you know the only thing that's happened is they won two out of their four games last week, but really they still look like a garbage team or you know whatever. Um, so it's it, it can be very confusing for sure. Did you want to go over any specific numbers right now? I mean, I just wrote down the top five. Um, um, any other sure. surprises? Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think let's let's break down just the, the rankings here on NBA.com, and then um, I'll get my. It kind of ties into what you're talking about, and kind of the biggest surprises and disappointments. So, um, like you said, uh, <clears throat> leading off the lead, they. Um, the power rankings here. Number one is the Los Angeles Lakers. They're two and one. Um, number two are the Brooklyn Nets. Not a really a big surprise with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Number three, the Indiana Pacers. Number four, the Clippers. We'll get to them in a second. Five is the Orlando Magic, which I think is a, I think a shock. Um, six, which is, is weird given what yeah. you said about the Nuggets. Like you're exactly. about the Nuggets. Like yeah, we we aren't projecting. Orlando Magic no. to be a top five team, so it, no. it goes right against what I was just saying. So, so to yeah. your point, sorry, keep going. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, the six six is the Denver Nuggets. Seven is the Miami Heat. Um, eight are the Phoenix Suns. Nine is the Dallas Mavericks, and ten are the Boston Celtics. So, um, I was cut to the chase, and let's. I want to get to the the Clippers here. Um, <laughs> I think if you're an NBA team. Now, now, college is different. Like, you know, let's just say we're big fans of the New Mexico Lobos. If they're playing Duke, they lose by 51. That's just a talent disparity. Um, it's a disappointment, but it, the outrage is not really there just because of the wide gap between Duke and the Lobos, just due to recruiting and, and other things, right? Um, mm -hmm. When we get to the NBA, there's a level playing field of professionals, I would think. Um, I would assume that. So my issue with the Clippers is that this is supposed to be a championship contender once again this season. And I know Kawhi was hurt. He he took that brutal elbow from Serge Ibaka. I don't know if you saw that. That was terrible. Oh, yeah. Um, it looked like he got shot, man. There's so much blood. Yeah. It was, it was oh. really gruesome. 
Well, it's hilarious because I think it was Shannon Sharp said he like got a paper cut in his mouth, something like that. Like it was just <laughs> he just totally downplaying. It's like, dude, he looked like Kawhi Leonard looked like he was in serious trouble. But n- nevertheless, without Kawhi Leonard, um, them losing by um, fifty-one points and down by fifty at the half is a disgrace. It, it just is. And, and that's for any NBA team. And with a contender, and this is the thing with Paul George, right? Like, we've had this conversation about him. As a leader, and you're supposed to be a, a star player, when Kawhi gets hurt, Paul George assumes that leadership responsibility. And I realized, like he said, you know, he was discussing the post-game press conference. You have, you know, the Christmas Day hangover. Totally understand that. And to lose by 20 to 30 points, I think it's understandable. And honestly, um, I think Kendrick Perkins made the same point, and I agree with him. If they were to lose by 20, 30 points, eh, whatever, right? But to lose by 50 means you don't care. It literally means <laughs> that you just you don't give a crap about that game. And for a team that's supposed to be a championship contender – I blame coaching and I blame Paul George. And I think the lack of just anger um, and just, I don't know, more disappointment is the primary Assault reason on your why. own pride. It is. And not only that, there's a reason why I can see them easily getting upset in the playoffs again by an inferior team. It would not surprise me. And this is the reason why. And the their only saving grace is Kawhi Leonard. If they if somehow Kawhi gets hurt, they're finished. Um, and this disproved that. So I would say in terms of a disappointment, I would have to say um, the Los Angeles Clippers, that that was just a disgrace to see that, quite honestly. 100% agree. And, you know, you, you and I talked about a lot at the end of the Clippers run in the second round of the playoffs last year when Denver made that amazing comeback down three games to one, how – there's clearly a lot of dysfunction left on this team. I criticize the move of them hiring Tyron Lou as head coach. Not that I don't like coach Lou. I think he's a good coach, but he was basically associate head coach under doc rivers. So doc rivers really was just kind of the scapegoat. And then they kept almost the same coaching staff. So to me, there's clearly still dysfunction on this team and I mean, I, I said it at the end of last year that I'm I'm not going to buy this team until they show me something uh, either significantly in the regular season. But even then, I mean, we really need to see it happen in the playoffs at this point because the talent on the roster is there to where you should at least be in the Western Conference finals, um, if, if not the NBA finals themselves. So um, I, I just kind of feel the same way seeing that game on on. Um, the day after Christmas. I mean, I, I'm glad that Paul George said he takes full responsibility and then unfortunately like rattled off two or three other excuses in, in typical Paul George fashion. But at least that's something that he, he said he takes responsibility. But I agree with you that you should be more upset in the moment on the court when you are down by 50 points at halftime, an NBA record, by the way, and then if, if you had just held the Mavericks, if the Mavericks had scored zero points in the second half, they would have won that game by four points because yeah. the Clippers scored 73. I mean, it, a shameful performance. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think there's still a lot of dysfunction 
on the Clippers. And maybe with, you know, a vet like Serge Ibaka coming in, maybe they can work through that and build up something better. But for the time being, I'm, I'm not buying it. And, uh, and they should, they should feel a sense of shame losing that game the day after Christmas, the way they did that. That was just awful. Agreed. Um, I would say my second disappointment is not necessarily with a team per se. I, I was looking over these power rankings and besides those two, um, this observations, I don't take the power rankings too serious. It's such, it's so early in the season. So I really went with just Christmas day. just with the NBA overall, mm. um, mm. just, just terrible in terms of the blowouts. Um, looking at this yeah. uh, NBC sports, um, stats here, the um, highest margin of victory in terms of double number of games, um, 2020, um, ranked number two, um, with the um, margin of victory being 23.2 points a game um, in terms of the margin of victory. I mean, that's it's, it's the second most lopsided Christmas games in NBA history. I mean, that's just not good. And I think it has a lot to do with it in terms of the season starting near Christmas, which makes me worried about starting the season Christmas Day. But at the same time, we've seen in past years, opening day games be competitive so um i don't know what the deal was with with christmas i I just it was a bummer um really discouraging but yeah i i would say just to be positive um i really like james weissman i think he's going to be a force with the the warriors so it was good to see him even though the bucks destroyed them and steve kerr was visibly frustrated but um I think Wiseman is is a bright point um, for that team. Um, how about you? What are your disappointments so far? Yeah, to piggyback off of you, though, sure. I, I think the Warriors are in some real trouble, though, because oh, I, I agree really? with your point about Wiseman, and uh, and that's great, but it's it's a lot to depend on a rookie over the course of the year. So so this year will be great to get a lot of reps for him. But in terms of like the playoff outlook for the Warriors, I mean, I had them ranked as my eighth seed in the West. And I'm really starting to doubt that based on that Draymond's going to be out for this first month of the season. Um, and also just looking at the fit of Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre Jr. I, I think those guys were supposed to contribute a lot more than what they've been able to do, unfortunately. So, I mean, really Andrew Wiggins especially needs to step up a lot more to give them just some sort of other uh, scoring production other than what Steph Curry can give, because we've seen it in the past that if the Warriors have to rely solely on Steph Curry, he's really not like a LeBron James or a Kevin Durant, a guy that is just going to be able to like power his way through a defense no matter what. I mean, this team has always worked as scoring by committee, scoring by crisp ball movement and smart passing. Um, and if it's all on his shoulders, I, I think it's going to be a long year for him and the Warriors combined. But uh, to get more into disappointments, I, I would agree with what you said about Christmas Day. It may be that you know, shorter training camps, shorter preseason, maybe that all contributed to this. It's really kind of hard to say, but, but that was um, kind of a disappointing Christmas day. Like, you know, I'll I'll be honest. I spent uh, the day with my family. I was away from the TV for a lot of the day. So I, I came to it in the night saying like, okay, what, what recaps do I need to watch 
well, geez, turns out not really much, not really <laughs> right. much to catch up on. That's uh, true. Because there were a lot of blowouts there, um, which, you know, it's it's one night, but that's a big night for the NBA. So so it's a little disappointing to see. Um, some surprises um, for yeah. me. Um, I, I just want to read you right now as we record on Monday night, the 28th, the list of undefeated teams in the league right now. It, it is shocking. Um, and there are only five teams who remain undefeated. Um, Cleveland, the Cleveland Cavaliers are three and oh, I think you could have told me the Cleveland Cavaliers will never win three games in a row this season. And I would have believed that before believing that they're one of the only one of the last five undefeated teams left in the league. Um, now I'm not saying they're going to make a playoff run or anything like that, but good for Cleveland to, to get off to a good start and at least be interesting. Um, Orlando is three and O Indiana is three and O Atlanta is two and O and OKC is one and O granted that's only one game, but I think that's, that's a pretty surprising list of undefeated teams. Um, so, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of analysis to give with that, but I just think it's, it's kind of funny that those are the last five undefeated teams left in the league. Um, disappointments, uh, real quick. So along with, I, I guess I'm not really that disappointed in the Clippers just because I was kind of expecting them to still be dysfunctional. It's kind of disappointing to see any team flounder out like that on a Christmas day, but some other teams, we, we touched on the Nuggets, so I, I had them on my disappointed list. Um, the Wizards, with a new-look roster. I, I've been following a lot with friend of the show, Matt Moderno, who was a, a guest a couple months ago. I've been following along with his tweets and just how frustrated he's been at their defensive rotations and things like that with you know supposed to be an exciting new-look team with Russell Westbrook joining this squad. You would think Russell Westbrook... Um, would be super motivated joining this team after the complaints that he had on the Rockets with James Harden. Uh, so far, they're 0 and 3. You know, it's all of these things are so early right now, and they can change in a 72 game season, no doubt. Uh, but not a great way to start out of the gates. And then the Raptors also being 0 and 2 to start the season. They're in a different location. So you have to give them maybe a little bit of a benefit of the doubt for being in Tampa Bay. Um, and trying to get things together down there. But I, I think those three teams combined are the ones that I'm most disappointed in to start the season. So again, that's the Nuggets, Wizards, and Raptors. Um, you know, I, again, I don't put a whole lot of stock in that being a trend for the season. If any of those teams, maybe the Wizards, because I, I had them as the nine seed anyway, so I wasn't too, too hopeful for them. Um, but... I think it's just, you know, especially with the Nuggets, like starting out 0-2. And it, it looks like they'll probably bounce back. Uh, Tuesday night, they play the Kings. That'd be a good game for them to bounce back on. Um, but, you know, we, we spoke with a lot of people from Denver Sports, um, DNVR Sports, and just talked about how, you know, this could be such a year of Jamal Murray's ascension. Um, and it, it looks like, you know, it's, it's been a shaky start, at least for the start of the season. Did you have any for other sure. surprises or disappointments you wanted to mention? Um, I got a disappointment, and it's uh, late breaking within the last eight minutes. Oh, gosh, um, I just saw this. Yeah, you sent yeah. this over to me. Yeah, I, I sent uh, you a shoot. clip. 
Yeah, um, it's Brace Memphis. <laughs> it, it looks like they're playing for they're playing Brooklyn. Isn't from the clip? It doesn't look like super gruesome, um, but nevertheless, it looks to be serious. Um, so it's Memphis against the Brooklyn Nets, and um, just looking at the video here, John Morant was going to block a shot, and it looks like the defender came. Um, the, the offensive player came down on his leg and he looked like in serious pain. And it says here um, he was taken off the floor in a wheelchair. Um, so it, that it does not look good. We don't have any information in terms of what the injury is, um, how severe it is. I mean, this happened literally eight minutes of re-recording this podcast. So um, I'm sure next week when we record again, we'll have a lot more information in terms of the um, severity of this injury, but just terrible. I hope it's not serious. I hope it's a tweak and a couple of days he'll be fine. But, you know, look what happened to, you know, Clay Thompson. <laughs> I mean, he was out for a long time. So um, I, hopefully John Morant, it's not too serious. He can get back on the floor fairly soon because it's, it's terrible to see. Absolutely. I mean, if, if he's out, um, I mean, of course, he's he's a bright young star that we were talking about. You know, he, he was really one of the things I was looking forward to the most this season is, is where could he take Memphis? So huge loss, obviously. Um, and, and that's pretty much the Grizzlies season if he's out for, um, you know, even even if it's a couple months. I mean, that really um, puts a damper in the Grizzlies hopes. Um, another bummer injury news, if, if we can just kind of rip the bandaid yeah, off while we're sure. on the topic of injuries is that, yeah, for sure. uh, Spencer Dinwiddie has a partially torn ACL. Uh, this was reported, I believe, um, yesterday. So he will be out for the rest of the season cuts into the Brooklyn Nets depth that we were touting on, on the last podcast. And one of the reasons I, I thought for sure they were going to be, um, a top two seed in the East. Um, now that's not to say they, um, you know, couldn't, couldn't still, um, keep that status, but it definitely hurts their depth. And he was, um, looking to get traded this year, maybe moving into a bigger contract eventually. So, um, so kind of a big bummer, big hit to the Nets roster, obviously. And, uh, with both of these guys, of course, we hope they recover quickly and, and return back to action. For sure. Um, I think another disappointment, again, it's so early, it's more of a lighter disappointment. Um, I would say the Milwaukee Bucks, I just think you would have a point to prove this season. And, and just to see them um, be one and two, um, it, it's it certainly, I don't know, raises some minor questions in terms of um, what's going on. At the same time, I mean, looking at this, they, look, they started last season two and two, and they won 22 out of the last 23 games. So, I mean, I'm not super duper concerned at the same time. I would just expect a bigger start. Um, I would say another disappointment would be just the presentation of the games themselves. Um, I know Golden State's going to incorporate virtual fans. I would like to see that league wide. I don't know why that's not the case. I, I assumed it was going to be um, in every single arena to see digital fans. I just think it's empty. Um, I think I know they're piping in the noise to the um, TV arena, but compared to the bubble where it's a lot more intimate, I just felt it was a lot more suited as a television product. And here it is, it's really jarring and I, it's really hard to watch, to be honest. Um, 
I'm hoping I, I'm, I'm going to stick with it and we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I love the NBA so much, so I'm not going to stop watching at the same time. It's really difficult to watch. Um, it's one, it's one of the reasons why I don't, I don't really care about the NFL this season, let alone major league baseball, um, yeah, let alone college, um, football, <clears throat> excuse me. It's just, it's fairly jarring to see and not, aesthetically pleasing to just the viewers at home to see that so hopefully they incorporate digital fans some kind of digital interaction will be cool um but for now it was pretty lacking in that department am i making too big of a deal of that Mm, i don't think so i i do think it's it's weird um i mean to me it's you know it, it is what it is with what this past year has been all the things we know that's been going on we've been talking about it you know, I, I don't want to get into it all that much. Um, it, it may be better in a couple months, thankfully, but, um, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. But I, I agree with you that I don't like it as much as the bubble setting uh, because the bubble was set up, I mean, really to be uh, a solid TV production. Um, and these arenas aren't incorporating the same exact strategies that they did in the bubble. You know, we talked about, the video board and all that stuff. Some people were mixed on the virtual fans and all that. I I thought it was kind of funny and um, you know, just kind of making the best of, of the situation. But I think you're right. It's, it's kind of a little more bland in the arenas. I mean, it's, it's just, you really need more excitement from your announcers to, um, to make it worth watching uh, like a whole game experience uh, and, uh, you know, in turn, that excitement is, is hard for a broadcaster to generate without fans being present. Um, so, you know, I don't know. My attitude on this is, is just kind of it, it is what it is. But I agree with you that it's not as good of a, a TV product compared to like a normal NBA game with fans. It, it just isn't. And it's hard no. for me to argue any other um, and, and I think, you know, that's that's why, I mean, you and I always like to talk about sports ratings and stuff. And I think uh, from my perspective, the NBA is getting a, a pass for this season, uh, along with other sports leagues, because it, it just it isn't as eye catching of it, it's not it's not a spectacle to watch on television as much as it is with fans. And there's nothing that the leagues can really do about that at this point. Um, I mean, until states are comfortable opening up more, until we we get the green light on that, there's really nothing that they can do. So I can't really fault them for that. And again, I'll I'll say it one last time. It it is what it is. For sure. Um, I think a a nice surprise so far has been the Brooklyn Nets again. It's so early, right? Um, But seeing them, the potential of that team being a contender, that's really good to see. We'll have to... Um, just watch and observe what's going to happen with Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they seem to be working cohesively pretty well. Um, just for, unfortunate injury to Spencer um, Dinwiddie, just in terms of his knee injury. Um, that sucks. He's most likely to be out for the season. So there are a nice surprise. Did you have any other surprises or disappointments before we move on? No, I, th- I think we've covered just about everything. I, I think, um, it's not really a surprise, but I will say that uh, the Lakers are are just coasting into a great season. They I mean, they <laughs> they are 
legitimately deep and and ready to run. Uh, so I mean, credit to them. There there's been no, you know, I I thought kind of with like that LeBron James Instagram post and him being, uh, you know, kind of in my opinion whiny about the season starting. Uh, mm-hmm. so soon after winning that title, you know, some, some say that's justified, whatever. Um, I, I thought there was real potential for the Lakers to be, um, you know, still like top four seed, but kind of middle of the pack for the first month or two of the season and just not care about it because of how loaded they are, you know, be kind of like one of those turn on the switch type thing teams, you know, LeBron had a few of those teams in, in Miami, certainly, um, but no, they're taking care of business. They look good. And they also have um, Taylor, Taylor Horton Tucker um, coming in from their bench, who looks like he might also be a gamer. I mean, he, may, he looks like he may be a better asset than like Kyle Kuzma. Uh, so that team, that's a player that we weren't even talking about last, last offseason as an acquisition or anything like that. He's just coming up through the ranks and he looks like he can flat out ball. So if, if he is the greatest offseason acquisition for this team, I mean, give them the title. Now they, they are going to be, um, they're going to coast their way to the finals. I mean, obviously there's a lot of time between now and then a lot can happen. The team has to stay healthy, all that good stuff, but man, they, they look legit. I mean, they're, they're fully deserving of that number one spot on the power rankings. For sure. Um, let's hop into some drama. Nothing like some <laughs> good old fashioned beef. Gotta um, have it. And this, of course, and this concerns uh, Kevin Durant and inside <laughs> the NBA. Now, as we've seen over the years, and this is kind of an underplayed storyline with inside the NBA. As much as I love the show, um, I think there is a lot of there's a kind of younger generation, older generation um, battle. Be between the show and how it covers those young stars because even Shaquille O'Neal who gets kind of it's weird because he is of the 90s like he's clearly of the Jordan era I mean he was drafted in 1992 because of his youthful nature he kind of gets I don't know I think people put him into he's in touch with kind of the younger players I think that's the perception he would have but Shaq's very old school so that panel overall is old school along with Kenny and Chuck and Afterwards, the Brooklyn Nets, um, they defeated the Golden State Warriors. I believe this was um, the opening night game to the season. Um, Durant had 22 points, and Durant was interviewed after the game. And it's usually, I would say, I don't know, TNTs are very selective with their interviews. They don't do a lot of post-game interviews with players. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So um, getting Kevin Durant, I was surprised to see him, first of all. And I'm sure this has been circulating. I'm sure everybody's seen the clip in terms of Kevin Durant giving a one-word answer to Charles Barkley's question. Um, <laughs> a pretty pedestrian question. Um, you can see Kevin Durant very just perturbed and does not want to be there at all. Um, really throughout the entire interview, to be honest. What, what did you make of this? Are you shocked? I, I think in terms of like consequences, I don't really see this being anything – um to take super duper seriously at the same time i think there is a disconnect between kind of the younger players and the older players i mean we've seen in particularly Shaq and charles get on multiple players case i mean we can go down the line of you know quote-unquote beast they've had and 
for a player like Kevin Durant, who's extremely sensitive, I'm not necessarily surprised he had this reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, so many times in the NBA and just in, in pop culture, a lot of times the, the stars or the star athletes in this case, um, kind of mirror things that are trends in our generation, which, which makes sense because, um, you know, they, we kind of mirror them and they mirror us. They kind of lead pop culture trends, you know, like Hollywood celebrities do that kind of thing. So, I mean, this, this was a very real, like, okay, boomer type of moment, so to speak, uh, with KD just acting, you know, like he didn't really want to be there. He didn't really care. Um, which I think is a shame because in, in my opinion, I mean, inside the NBA is such it's, it's one of the top ways that fans engage with the sport um, in, in the NBA in general. So for Kevin Durant to just be, you know, kind of passive like this and, and just really not care about this interaction is disappointing to me as, as a fan. And I don't care about the Brooklyn Nets. I'm actually looking forward to personally rooting against them this year. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think it's it's an unfortunate missed opportunity to react with the media this way because we we lose some of that that opportunity to connect with these players to build uh, a relationship and interest with these players. Now maybe I'm just being a little overdramatic myself in in saying this, but this this has been a trend with the Nets. Um, since before this season even started, you know, with Kyrie protesting the media, that kind of stuff. And, you know, if you play that out over the course of a season, I mean, is, is anyone other than, you know, Brooklyn Nets fans who became Brooklyn Nets fans this year, let's be honest, because you probably weren't rooting for them when they were the New Jersey Nets. Um, I mean, is anyone other than them going to really connect or care about this team? Uh, I would say probably not. And maybe it can be a good in that they can be sort of a villain to the casual fan. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it's, it's not great for a team to not draw any interest. Um, and I think it, it could potentially be bad for the health of the league. Now, again, maybe I'm overblowing that. I, I will say in fairness to KD, that was, a pretty lame question by Charles Barkley. He really opened up the opportunity for Kevin Durant to answer yes or no. He was basically saying like, wow, it must feel great to be back here on opening night and have such a great performance. That must've been because of all the training and preparation you did. Correct. And he, he ended that question on correct. I mean, really, I think as an interviewer and and Justin, you're, you're a very solid interviewer. I think you more would want to say, you know, what are the types of things that you did for your training to prepare for this? You know, leave it really open to where he can't give you a yes or no answer. Um, and, and so, and I'll, I'll shut up and, and I want to get your thoughts on this. But at the end of the day, though, I think this is overall, like when I, when I put my feelings aside for Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I think this is a fair transaction at the end of the day because KD kind of, 
you know, gets to make this point that he doesn't really care for the media, which he feels like is a, a good thing to do. Um, and then inside the NBA, if you kept watching after that interview, I mean, they rightly ripped him. And it was very funny and very entertaining um, as that crew does. I mean, they rip on each other all the time. It's part of the reason the show is so great. They brought Kevin Durant's one word answers into their routine there and, and made fun of him, rightly so, in my opinion. So at the end of the day, I think it's a fair transaction. I do think that um, I would like to see Kevin Durant be a little bit more open. Of course, there's there's nothing written that says he has to do that. You know, he could do like Marshawn Lynch did in the NFL where he'd he'd do these interviews. He didn't want to do the postgame interviews, but he didn't want to be fine. So he'd show up and give one word, you know, really kind of silly answers or just act not very interested. He could absolutely do that. Um, but, you know, I would think as a guy that has several investments going and things like that is, um, you know, really business and entrepreneurially oriented. Um, I would think he would try to be more likable to fans, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just confused on all that. Um, what do you, what were your thoughts, you know, immediately following that interview and, and kind of like, um, I don't know, big term as, as far as KD. Um, to your point about it hurting the league from a public relations standpoint, um, I, I disagree with you um, just because, you know, you know, my history with covering mixed martial arts, right? And when this, that sport was growing, every single media um, appearance was important. So with the NBA, it's already established. So Kevin Durant can act like a belligerent fool. And honestly, it might help the ratings, to be honest, because you're watching to see what antics he's doing. The, the league is already established, right? So whatever Kevin Durant does I don't think it's going to reflect badly on the rest of the players just because the sport's established, right? Um, it usually takes a few players to establish a culture of a negative perception. So look at the NFL back in the 90s, 2000s. You know this, Matt, with the Dallas Cowboys and them um, with all the legal trouble they got into, right? With like Leon Lett with the whatever, how much weed did he have in his car? Or <laughs> – um, or there's other teams that had plenty of legal problems, and that created this perception of just negative energy around the NFL. I mean, even look at baseball. How many guys were on steroids? They created a perception of guys taking steroids. So here, I don't think so because of this interview. I don't think it has any consequence in terms of the league. However, I think he's a professional. I think he should act like it. I Look, I, as I've said before, I totally get being sensitive at the same time, like these guys, especially Chuck and Shaq, they shoot from the hip, and that's what they're the the enduring part of the show is that they don't have quote unquote media speak. They say what's on their minds, and so to me, I don't know. It's a catch twenty two because if Barkley and Shaq were kissing his butt, and then you know talking crap behind his back, they'd be two-faced, right? I wouldn't have the guts to say it to his face. But um, since they do, it's they're the negative media. So I don't know. I just think Durant should just act a little bit more professionally. Or I think even more than that, just address it head on. Say, hey, I don't appreciate mm -hmm. your comments. And, you know, you trying to 
disrespect me and just challenge Charles on the air. I would respect that totally. Um, but just to handle it with the one-word answer makes him look bad. I mean, he looks pretty terrible um, in that exchange. So I don't know if he's going to learn a lesson from that. I'm sure just through the course of the season, this will be his last interview with Inside the NBA till next season and maybe further into the future. But um, not a look for KD, not a good look for KD at all. And But I don't really see it harming the NBA or Kevin Durant. We already know he's sensitive and he takes everything super hard from the media. So I don't see it having a super lingering effect other than it's going to be another highlight on inside the NBA. So, yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think the fact that the inside the NBA crew was able to draw so much humor from it is, you know, kind of spins it positive to where you as a fan watching that, or, or at least me, uh, personally, when I was watching that, I mean, you are able to, you know, kind of laugh at KD and how pathetic his answers were. Um, and I agree with you. I don't I don't think this one isolated interview hurts the league. Um, I more think like if if the Kyrie KD mentality spreads to, you know, let's say like half the teams in the league, then I think that would be sure. that would be another issue. But you're right in that. You know, it's it's not that way on any other team at the moment. So I, I definitely agree with what you're saying there. Yeah, totally. Did you have any other thoughts before we uh, move on? No, no. I I think yeah, it'll be it'll be curious to see because the Nets are going to be on. <laughs> it's kind of ironic since they have this whole anti-media thing. They're they're going to be on a lot of nationally broadcasted television games this year. Um, you know, essentially replacing a lot of the airtime that the Knicks might get if if they were a team worth watching this year. Uh, so it's it's kind of funny in a way, and I hope they do get more post game interviews. Um, I hope they do perform well and like I predicted them at kind of the top of the East uh, because we might get <laughs> we might get more things like this, and they're either going to, like you said, have to deal with this stuff head on, which I totally agree with your point that that would be a way better way to do it. And just, just kind of rip that bandaid off rather than dance around this issue. Um, or we're just going to get a lot of awkward interviews and I'm for that too. Cause they're fun to talk about. <laughs> they are. It makes for good TV. <laughs> um, last but not least um, coming up in the NBA this week, I, I will be um, honest the schedule's not really lighting my world on fire in terms of games to see, to be completely honest. I, I will say we're recording this um, December 28th, so by the time you're listening to this, it'll be Tuesday, December 29th. TNT has an, oh, a nice doubleheader, I think, with some rising players, but in terms of consequence, um, even Bucks in the Heat, it'll be nice to see them hook it up again. It's still early in the season, so I don't take that super serious. Um, Did you see this? that... that that repeats on Wednesday night. Oh, it's a doubleheader. That's yeah, right. So, so they've got Tuesday night and then they repeat that matchup right. again on Wednesday, which is, you know, they're doing that obviously because of COVID and wanting less travel and fit more games in that kind of thing, of course, but kind of cool. Kind of makes it like a, a playoff atmosphere almost a as little close bit. as you it's, can get it. Yeah. It's a baseball kind of model to it, which I find interesting. Um, that's kind of to be determined whether I like that or not, but it's an interesting experiment to see how that's will factor into 
strategy within the regular season. And also from a, you know, TV perspective as well, because, you know, look at in this scenario, you can play your starters on the nationally televised game on Tuesday and Wednesday, you can set them. I mean, they're already on national TV once. So I think it actually helps those teams because they get to actually, you know, the load, the whole load management scenario, it, it actually assists in that. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Pelicans, the Suns, um, I'm looking forward to seeing Zion. He's um, had a double-double, I believe, in his three games um, in terms of rebounds and points. So, I, And also his minutes are up, so that's good to see. Um, and, of course, Devin Booker, always cool to see. So rising stars, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that. But other than that, I don't know. Um, a lot of these games are not lighting – my world on fire here. Maybe I'm just being kind of a negative Nancy here, but do you see anything in here that maybe I'm missing? Yeah. Tuesday night was the main night that I had circled, you know, Celtics Pacers, Raptors Sixers. Uh, Those games aren't nationally televised. Those are league pass or NBA TV, but, um, but they, they do have some consequence in kind of getting a feel for how the season's going Uh, to that point of, of the baseball series. Uh, that we're going to have throughout the year. You know, I, I do wonder if we're going to see um, better coached games. Um, I, I think a lot of that, of course, is going to depend on how the team's record is doing, those kinds of things. But, you know, usually we talk a lot more about coaching schemes during the playoffs when obviously you have a team you can focus on for those uh, that stretch of potentially seven games. Um, so I wonder if we're going to see some of that rub off, like for example, the bucks playing the heat on Tuesday, then you just make quick adjustments from that game. You just played on Tuesday night leading into Wednesday night and see if it works. So we get to kind of see, um, a little bit more frequent chess matches in the NBA and maybe less games where you're, you're facing an unorthodox team, you know, maybe like the Rockets last year with the small ball lineup, um, maybe, you know, they would blow out a lot of teams because you just don't play against a lot of small ball teams. Um, maybe we'll see a little bit less of that with coaches having a chance to scheme. You know, the only other thing I, I agree with you that, you know, some of the games um, are interesting to me. Some of the games are just kind of standard NBA regular season. The other thing I'm I'm looking at for this week and the coming weeks Um, You know, I want to see it's early, but we're definitely going to see some articles come out about, you know, who's leading in the MVP race early on to start the season, like first 10 games of the season, who is your leading MVP candidate, we're going to see that. Um, Even with James Harden performing so well on his first game, you you'd imagine there's no chance he could win the MVP. So I think it will be an interesting race, especially if the Lakers kind of take turns shutting down LeBron James and Anthony Davis. So that'll be interesting to see. And then also it's, it would take a lot for Giannis to win MVP again this year, I think Um, just because writers and and voters tend to get fatigued on certain players. So if Giannis isn't performing even better than last year, which is hard to imagine, um, then you know, I'm, I'm not sure he can win the MVP as, as unfair as that might sound just because more so because of voter fatigue, not because of his own personal performance. So I'm looking for that. And then also uh, I'm keeping my eyes on the James Harden trade talk 
because there's still a very real problematic situation in Houston there. Harden's trying to talk professionally about things. Um, he blends really well with Christian Wood. Uh, that's a nice pairing in, in the limited amount of time that they played, but he still wants out of Houston. So I think, you know, from a drama perspective, I'm looking to see if Harden's going to get traded this week. For sure. So, uh, definitely a storyline to watch, and we'll just have to see how his antics um, transpire. Uh, you, you know me, I haven't been happy with his behavior, but he's still a great player, so we'll just have to um, watch how that unfolds. Anything else you wanted to discuss, Matt, before we say goodbye? Man, I think I think that's a mouthful. I think we should get uh, back to our, our Christmas hangover, so to speak. <laughs> um, thank you all for tuning in. If you made it this far, we appreciate you. Um, please be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We are still uploading lots of videos onto there each week, growing that channel. Um, and then check us out on social media anywhere uh, you do social media. So Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, follow us there for more content. For sure. And our previous interviews as well. We have interviews with the Athletics' Richard Deitch. Also, he's the host of the Sports Media Podcast. We have Carrie Champion um, from Vice TV. Uh, we have Jock Slade. We have Brendan Vogt. Um, we have uh, Trevor Lane. Uh, we have interviews from journalists from ESPNW. We have Zach Levitt. Um, we go down the line, teams from the Golden State Warriors, Denver Nuggets, the Pelicans, the Bulls. Uh, so please check that content out. Um, definitely worth a listen. Um, and we thank our guests for joining us this year. I think this is going to be our last podcast of the year, man. I just want to publicly thank you, Matt, for going on this journey. I know um, – our original plan was just to review the last dance, but um, we've gone kind of all the way and relaunched everything. And I just want to help. I just want to say thank you for all your assistance and it's going on this ride, man. I really appreciate it. Likewise, man. Appreciate you. It's been a blast. I, I'm so glad we're, we're up in the podcast again. It's, it's been um, a, a very bright light in, in a dark 2020, <laughs> so to speak. Right. So it's, it's been great and uh, looking forward to continue through this season and, and many more for sure, man. So um, for Matt Thomas, I'm Justin Goodrum. Have a very happy and safe new year and we'll see you in 2021. See you later. Peace.